Now I want to turn our attention to God's word. We're going to be in Luke chapter 19 verses, and I'm going to read verses 28 to 42, but I'm going to reference all the way down to 44 in the sermon. But here is what Luke writes in Luke 19. If you have your Bible, you can look at it, but it will be on the screen as well, I do think. Or it's in your worship. Um, if you scan the QR code, it's in there. The word of God says, when he had said these things, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethphage and Bethany at the place called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of the disciples and said, go into the village ahead of you. As you enter it, you will find a coat tied there on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Say this, the Lord needs it. So those who were sent left and found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the coat, his owners said to them, why are you untying the coat? The Lord needs it, they said. Then they brought it to Jesus, and after throwing their clothes on the coat, they helped Jesus get on it. As he was going along, they were spreading their clothes on the road. Now he came near the path down the Mount of Olives, and the whole crowd of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees from the crowd told him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if they were, si if they were to keep silent, the stones would cry out. As he approached and saw the city, he wept for it, saying, If you knew this day what would bring peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. This is the word of the Lord. In 1967, there was a war called the Six-Day War in which four Arab nations that surrounded Israel attacked Israel, seeking to wipe them off the face of the map. But there was a woman by the name of Pauline Rose during that time. She is considered the first lady of Mount Zion. She established the first Messianic Jewish congregation in Jerusalem in the modern era. She was looking for what Jesus had promised. And when this war happened, these four Arab nations, it would seem that they would wipe Israel out, but that didn't happen. Those four nations were scattered. Israel had victory, and Pauline Rose witnessed it. She was elated as many were. She was looking for the one, and she saw that victory as, as, as coinciding with how God had delivered Israel before. And so when, when these nations were scattered, she believed that she was witnessing the beginning of the final redemption in 1967. In our text today, we're going to see a people who were longing desperately for someone to rescue the Jews from Roman oppression. They were looking for that Messiah figure, the Messiah to come and, and change everything for them. Now, it was Passover season. And if you know anything about Passover, Passover is the season when they celebrated great victory. 
where God with a strong hand delivered the nation of Israel from bondage in Egypt. And so during this Passover season, they were hoping that the Messiah would come and free them from Roman oppression. What does this have to do with us? I want to ask us a question. What are we longing for today? What are we longing for? Are we looking for God to move in a way to make our nation the nation of the whole earth that everyone looks to? Or are we looking forward to when Jesus would come back and set up his kingdom that all nations would bow down to? Are we living in anticipation of the return of the Lord Jesus Christ? If you're like me, today is a good day for Jesus to return. It's a good day for him to come back. Where there will be no more pain, no more tears, no more disease. Are we living in anticipation that one day Jesus is going to crack the sky and come back to make all things new? What are you begging God to do in and among us for his glory? In this chapter, Luke chapter 19, starting in verse 28, Jesus he entered Jerusalem for the last time. What took place before this, we can find in Matthew chapter 16, when Jesus got away with his disciples to an area called Caesarea Philippi. And as they in Caesarea Philippi, Jesus began to ask them questions. Who do people say that I am? And as Jesus was teaching them, he told the disciples that they in their ministry need to confront the very gates of hell. And he also let them know that he would establish his church. From that point on, Jesus turned his face to go to Jerusalem because he had something to do. But it was not going to be what they, the people expected. Jesus knew that he was going to die. But the people wanted a king like King David who would rid them of their oppression. See, it was thought that the anointed one, Messiah, would be one like King David. He would be more like King David rather than a suffering servant. He would break the cruel yoke of foreign, of, of, of foreign oppression. The forerunner of Jesus, John the Baptist, when he got arrested, he sent his disciples to Jesus to say, mm, you need to ask him, are, are you the one that we should look, or are you the one that we should expect, or should we look for another? Because we're looking for someone who is going to be like King David. But you are doing great things, but uh, maybe it's not going quick enough. I'm still in prison. Would you free me from this prison? Me reading the white spaces of scripture. You're not going to find that in the text, y'all. But John the Baptist even wondered, Jesus, are you the one? See, at that time, the world in which they live had been so corrupted by its systems that a reform of the people was not enough. God had to intervene. So now Jesus enters Jerusalem and the people believe as he enters Jerusalem that he is now about to overthrow Rome. The problem with this is that the people didn't realize that Jesus didn't come to overthrow Rome, but he went into Jerusalem to die. This is how God would intervene. Because instead of 
trying to change systems and do those things. What Jesus came to do was to die to pay the price for sins and then him change our hearts. Ezekiel talks about him taking out the heart of stone and giving us a heart of flesh. Jesus knew what he came to do and how he would do it. But the people didn't understand. Jesus, on this day, he entered Jerusalem on the very same day that the Jews would have selected their lamb for sacrifice. He entered Jerusalem on that day. Sacrifice for Passover. So here's a question that we must ask ourselves. Which lamb will you choose? Which lamb will you choose? So as we move through the text, I want us to see these three things. The first thing I want us to see is that Jesus is our guide and authority. We're going to see this in verses 28 to 34. Jesus is our guide and our authority. Secondly, we must align ourselves with God's plan. Verses 35 to 40. We must align ourselves with his plan. And finally, I want us to see that Jesus empathizes with us. Verses 41 to 44. Today, I want to teach from this subject, which is a question. Will you choose Jesus, the Lamb of God? Let's look at our first point, that Jesus is our guide and authority. Verses 28 to 34, I will read again. The text says, when he had said these things, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethphage and Bethany at the place called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of the disciples and said, go into the village ahead of you. As you enter it, you will find a colt tied there on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Say this, the Lord needs it. So those who were sent left and found it just as he told, had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, why are you untying the colt? The Lord needs it. They said, Jews would have flocked to Jerusalem by the thousands during this season, the Passover season. Many of them, and they went because this was one of the great Jewish festivals that they were commanded to celebrate. This Passover celebration goes all the way back to the book of Exodus. Look at Exodus chapter 12, verses 1 to 6 with me. And see what the Lord says. It says, the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, in the land of Egypt, this month is to be the beginning of months for you. It is the first month of your year. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, they must each select an animal of the flock according to their father's families, one animal per family. If the household is too small for a whole animal, that person and neighbor nearest his house ought to select one based on the combined number of people. You should apportion the animal according to what each will eat. You must have an unblemished animal, a year old male. You must take it from either the sheep or the goats. You are to keep it until the 14th day of this month. Then the whole assembly of the community of Israel will slaughter the animals at twilight. If you read the book of Exodus, you see what took place as God delivered the people. It was a great... Uh, uh, slaughter in the sense of every firstborn in Egypt, animal or human, died. But God commanded the people to take a lamb, kill it, put the blood on the doorpost. And God says, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. They were also to eat 
But they were, they were eating in a way that they were dressed and getting ready to go because God was going to bring a great deliverance during this time. So in the text, Jesus is now heading down the side of the Mount of Olives. The text says he is drawing near to Bethphage and to Bethany. On the day that we call Palm Sunday, which is the triumphal entry, the last moment that Jesus went into Jerusalem. Jesus is coming down the mountain. There is a valley. He can look out over the valley and see the city of Jerusalem. He's also traveling with thousands upon thousands of other Jews as they are going into the city. I mentioned this before, but I will mention it again. The day that Jesus entered Jerusalem would have been on the 10th day of the month. That's what God said in Exodus chapter 12. He entered on the 10th day of the month, the very day that the Jews would choose the land for Passover. See God's timing here. See God's timing. It's almost as if God said to the world, here is my lamb. Will you choose him? Here is my lamb. Will you choose him? Will you choose these physical lambs that everyone, that many people may have had the flock that you would purchase or will you choose the Lamb of God who has just entered Jerusalem? Jesus planned his entry. He's God. He carefully planned what he was going to do. The text says that he entered, he, he told his disciples to go into a village ahead of you. They would find a colt tied there. No one has ever ridden this colt. He said, get the colt and bring it to me. Now, if someone sees you get in the coat, they say, well, what are you doing? Jesus said, tell them the Lord has need of it. This ain't in my notes, but can God say to anything that you have, I need that, so give it to me? Or are you willing to just hold on to it and say, no, that's mine, Jesus. I need this. But the Lord says, the things that you have, put it in my hands. Because what you can do with it is minimal. But when I use it, Something amazing happens. You see, Jesus had sovereign knowledge of what was going to take place. And he was controlling these events. He said to tell these owners that the Lord needs it. Jesus knew exactly how he wanted to enter Jerusalem. And he made sure that he had what he needed for this to happen. Friends, as we think about our own lives. However he decides to work in our lives, he makes sure that what he desires to come to pass will come to pass. Romans 8.28, many of us love to quote it, but it says, all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Do some things work together for good? The text says, all things work together for good. So however he works in our lives, he is doing something. Our only response is a response of obedience. That's our only response. Just as the disciples were sent by Jesus into the village to do a certain task, they obeyed. We too ought to obey what he commands us. Now friends, we don't know what's ahead for us. Like we don't know, as I used to hear my, my grandmother say all the time, we don't know what tomorrow brings. 
We absolutely do not know what tomorrow brings. But the question is, are we willing to obey him and follow him? Moving with the next step that he gives us because he knows what he is doing. When we fly in airplanes, many of us travel a lot. And, but when we fly in airplanes, we are totally at the mercy of the pilots. The passengers can do nothing. You're just sitting there, right? Many of us get freaked out and scared. Like if you're like me, you feel turbulence, Lord, you start praying in tongues at that moment. I don't like feeling turbulence. But we, 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 we're at the mercy of the pilots. Now, if it's inclement weather or if it's dark, the pilots can only see a few feet in front of them. They can't see way out there to know where they're going. So when stuff like that happens, when it's bad weather, when it's dark, they have something else that they would look at to help them on their journey. And that's the instruments that's right below them. Like they would look at the things that are before them, the instruments in front of them to tell them what the aircraft is doing. So even if they lose vision, instruments let them know where they are. But they have some other protection as well. There are some people on the ground. While they are looking at the instruments, there's another set of people on the ground who's watching them by radar and communicating with them to make sure that they are doing what they're supposed to do. By the way, this is what happened with Kobe Bryant and how they lost their lives. The, the person flying the helicopter would not go by what the people on the ground were letting, was letting him know. And now we see the tragedy. So when a pilot loses his vision, he has instruments and he also has some people on the ground. In other words, they have an external point of reference to help them get to their journey or to their destination. See, without the disciple, I mean, without Jesus, the disciples would not have known what to do. In the same way, as we navigate life, friends, we must not rely on our own points of reference. Because if we rely on our own points of reference, we will destroy our very lives. When life happens, if there is not a power source outside of us that we can look to, that power source is the Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to perish. Proverbs chapter 14 and verse 12 says this. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. Jesus directed his disciples on where to go and what to do when they got there. And when we follow his directives, he will accomplish his purposes through us. He is the one that determines what success looks like, not us. But the disciples went and found it, just like Jesus said, and they brought that coat back. Passover season was a season of freedom for the people of God. But the only way that they would experience true freedom was through the death and burial and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. So here's the question again. Jesus, the Lamb of God, will you choose him or will you choose another lamb? He is our God and authority. Secondly, we must align ourselves with his plan. The text says in verses 35 to 40, then they brought it to Jesus and after throwing their clothes on the colt, they helped Jesus get on it. As he was going along, they were spreading their clothes on the road. Now he came near the path down the Mount of Olives and the whole crowd of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the miracles they had seen. 
Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. Some of the Pharisees from the crowd told him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if they were to keep silent, the stones would cry out. The setting of this text is vitally important. Bear with me. I'm going to apply it. It was Passover. And during Passover, the people of God was celebrating being liberated from bondage in Egypt. Now, during these festivals, incidents would occur. Josephus, the Jewish historian, would, would, would write down that sometimes men would come in and declare themselves to be the Messiah. Down the Mount of Olives, then they would go into Jerusalem and cause an uproar and a riot. When that happened, the Romans, because Jews were under Roman occupation, the Roman soldiers would go to where that uprising is and they would squash it. Often many people would be killed. So during the Passovers, what the Romans would do was, would make sure, was to make sure that there were extra soldiers in Jerusalem during the season. Again, remember, it's Passover. Passover points back to what God did in Egypt. And so they were looking for a great deliverance, just like he did with Moses. Their hope for the Messiah was so high during this time that rabbinic tradition said that they would leave the temple door open just in case this is the Passover where the Messiah wants to come and bring deliverance to the people. So the text says that they had a cult. They brought that coat to Jesus. They threw clothes on the coat and sat Jesus on the coat. This is enthronement. Again, you got to see what they're doing. They're making him king. We don't typically think of a king riding on a donkey. We think of a big steed, but they are enthroning Jesus as king. Now, they began to rejoice loudly. Right? They, they, they starting to make a lot of noise. Before this, we don't hear them saying anything. But now they are making noise because of all the mighty works that they had seen from Jesus. But they were also saying something else. Not just here, blessed is the king. But if we go to Mark chapter 11, verses 9 and 10, we're going to see what else they said. The text says, those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna. Have y'all ever had those services where you got palm branches and you got Hosanna and you're doing all that? I mean, nothing wrong with it, but this Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. See, I think in the church day when we read the word Hosanna, when we sing Hosanna, that's more of a religious statement. It's more of, of joy, like Hosanna. Like Kirk Franklin had the song, I'm not going to sing it. You know, I don't want to hurt your ears. We got singers for that. But we're singing Hosanna, right? Hosanna. But Hosanna was not a religious statement. Hosanna meant, deliver me, give me my freedom. Think of that when you read that again. So in this crowd would have been a group of people known as the Zealots. If you know anything about the Zealots, the Zealots were those people that they were about that. They, 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 they wanted to remove the Romans by any means necessary. I'm going to take life. So this would have been, uh, some, uh, some Zealots would have been a part of this group. The text also in other places say that they have palm branches. I think Matthew talks about that. Palm, I'm going to talk about palm branches in just a moment. Now, 
the cry for these zealots. You know what their cry was? Hosha-na. Sounds like Hosanna. Look at Psalm 118 in verses 22 to 25. Here it says, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This came from the Lord. It is wondrous in our sight. This is the day the Lord has made. Let's rejoice and be glad in it. Lord, save us. Lord, please grant us success. The word Hosanna in Mark chapter 11 is tied to the word used in Psalm 118 and verse 25 for save us, which means to get help, to deliver. All of this is important in understanding what the people were saying as Jesus was going down the mountain. So as he is going down, they were proclaiming with Jesus on the donkey, deliver us, save us from these Romans. Do we think about that during this season? But what about the palm branches? In the Gospel of Matthew, palm branches are mentioned. If you go back to the time of, and forgive me if y'all feel like y'all are in a seminary class, but y'all just deal with me for a second. The time of the Maccabees. This was the time between, if you're in your Bible, Malachi and Matthew. Scholars call those the 400 silent years. The Maccabees were present during that time, and they were men who were used to free the Jewish nation from outside oppression. The symbol during the time of the Maccabees, the nationalistic symbol was a palm branch. Palm branches had nothing to do with peace and love as we think about it today. Palm branches for the Jewish people is just like the stars and stripes are for America. Palm branches said, give me my freedom. We want our freedom. So before Je so Jesus mounted the coat, before he mounted the coat, the people were quiet. Now he's on the coat, they're shouting, Hosanna, save us, deliver us, son of David. Because they expected a king. They expected a king. They were looking for a national deliverance. Now, because the people were loud, the Pharisees, the text says, they went to Jesus and they say, look, Jesus, now, we don't agree with you, bro. That ain't in the text, my words. We don't agree with you, but have them be quiet. Tell them to hush. We don't want the Romans coming in here knocking our heads off. What did Jesus say to them? If you tell these to be quiet, the very stones are going to cry out. So what was Jesus saying? If you stop these from speaking, a riot would certainly ensue. A question for us. What kind of deliverance are we looking for in our day? Because they are certainly political here. And I see a lot, of, uh, a lot of similarity in our day. Where we look for a political leader to lead us, right? And putting our hope in that leader, right? They were doing this to Jesus. What are we more concerned about? Are we more concerned about this nation or Jesus' plan? Now, don't hear me say this because Russell loved to live in America. Let me say that right now. I've been to some other countries. My wife and I can attest. Praise his name. I'm glad about it. But I don't elevate America to a level where I'm worshiping this country that I live in. 
Because here's the deal. We must align ourselves with God's plan, not America's agenda. If you are a Christ follower, I'm going to say that again. Your allegiance is not to liberal or conservative. Your allegiance is to Jesus and his agenda. I've said this before. When, when Jesus comes back, he is not riding an elephant nor a donkey. But when he comes back, he's coming back to take over his kingdom. Again, God's plan was to give his son for the sins of the world as the Lamb of God. But will you choose him? We must align ourselves with God's plan. And finally, friends, Jesus empathizes with us. Verses 41 to 44 says this, as he approached and saw the city, he wept for it, saying, if you knew this day, what would bring peace? But now it is hidden from your eyes. For the days will come on you when your enemies will build a barricade around you, surround you and hem you in on every side. They will crush you and your children along, um, among you to the ground, and they will not leave one stone on another in your midst because you did not recognize the time when God visited you. Jesus as a man, as a human, walked through this life with all of the feelings, all of the actions, all of the attitudes that you and I have, yet without sin. He had all of that. One of the things that Jesus did was cry. Real men do cry. Look at John chapter 11, verse, starting in verse 32. Here it says, as soon as Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and told him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. When Jesus saw her crying and the Jews who had come with her crying, he was deeply moved in his spirit and troubled. Where have you put him? He asked, Lord, they told him, come and see. Then the text says, Jesus wept. Here when it says that Jesus wept in the Greek, this word for wept, means that Jesus sobbed quietly. Tears are running down his face, but he's not making a sound. This is very important. He looked around and saw all of the hurt, all of the pain, Mary and Martha, and he just starts weeping without making a noise. Friends, it is awesome that we have a God that cries at funerals. We have a God that cries at funerals because he feels the hurt that you and I feel. We know when we lose a loved one, something is not right. Something's just not right. When I'm looking at personally, when I'm looking at the body of my father, he's dead. Dad, why won't you get up? Oh, my grandfather, who was 98, but still him laying in that casket. Something's not right about that. And it brings tears to my eyes. And God sees those tears and he cries with me. He cries with you. And we know if we're in Christ that death is a result of sin and its effects. So Jesus, he sees Mary and Martha and he sees their tears and he begins to cry with them. And he knows that Mary and Martha lost their sole support, their sole means of support. He cared. He cared so much for them that he raised Lazarus from the dead. A week after he raised Lazarus from the dead, Jesus is on his way down the Mount of Olives. 
in our text. In his ears, he hears, Hosanna, save us from these Romans. He looked around and saw all of the excitement. He see the palm branches being waved. That people are now, it's like taking up political arms, like we're about to go to war here. Jesus sees all of this, and verse 41 says that he wept over the city. This word for wept is a word that means that Jesus audibly wept loud over this situation. With Lazarus, he wept quietly, but now he's making noise, and he's weeping out loud. On his way down the mountain, he stopped to cry. I can only imagine what the people would have thought. We just made this man king. He said he's the Messiah. We're ready for Rome to go. Why is he crying? Why does he weep out loud? Jesus heard all of the hosannas. He saw all of the palm branches and looked into the future. The text says, if you read verses 41 to 44, he could look into the future and see that many people would be lost because the Romans would come in and kill and because many of them did not place their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. They didn't get it. They didn't believe that he was the Messiah. They didn't trust in him. We can only imagine what would have happened if the people recognized who Jesus is. Notice I didn't say was. The Bible says that he is the same today, yesterday, today, and forever. I will always speak about Jesus in the present tense, never the past tense. They didn't get who Jesus is, that he would die on the cross. When he rode in on a donkey, he didn't come to bring war, but he came to bring peace. But the people didn't get it. So, my friends, how does Jesus cry for you? How does he cry for you? We must know that in a sense, God cries for everyone. If you're in Jesus today, you have trusted in the Lord Jesus. He's your friend and he cries when you're hurt. But if you don't know him, he weeps aloud. He weeps aloud. Does he cry for you because you're hurting and because he feels you're hurt? Jesus is our great high priest, Hebrews tells us. Does he cry for you because he, he's feeling what you feel? You've placed your trust in him or is he audibly weeping over you because you have chosen to reject him and live life your own way? During Jesus' life in ministry, people were curious about Jesus, which they still are today. They're still curious about Jesus. Who is Jesus? What are they saying about him? What does Jesus say about himself? Again, remember John the Baptist, who was Jesus' cousin in the flesh, who came before Jesus, who prepared the way for Jesus. But Jesus, you're not doing the things that I expected you to do. So Jesus, are you the one that we should look for or should we look for another? Jesus didn't come to set up a political kingdom. He came as a suffering servant. So I ask this question again, friends, in closing. Will you choose Jesus, the true lamb of God, or will you choose another lamb that cannot save? Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for your word. And 
in this, this season that we celebrate yearly, remembering what the Lord Jesus has done for us. This Sunday we celebrate Jesus coming into and, and going into Jerusalem for the last time. And about a week later, he would die. Lord, remind us and help us to remember why Jesus did what he did. That he had us in mind. That he would shed his blood for us. And every Sunday, we celebrate his death, his burial, and his resurrection. That is the only message that we have. We need to be reminded of this, not just weekly, but every single day. So Lord, implant these words into our hearts, your words. And I pray that they will bear fruit. In Christ's name we do ask this. Amen.